0: All right. Well, welcome to the Missionary District podcast. I am Deacon Amos, and I'm here with Jordan Duncan.
1: Hello, Amos, and everyone listening.
0: (laughs) Well, I thought today, Jordan, that we could talk a little bit about the relationship between baptism and salvation.
1: It sounds like a good idea, (laughs) because I think baptisms come up previously on the podcast
0: yeah, I mean the last episode we did was on uh, communion and baptism. I yeah. think that's the last one that was released.
1: Yeah, I think so. And it seems like there's a lot of other possible episodes we could do that are related to baptism, maybe things like infant baptism. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the list goes on. The list goes on. <laughs> I have a list. I just thought I oh, don't we need to go through it all, but there's other things we could talk about related to baptism, but uh, I think it's good, probably, you're very wise in saying, let's start with the relationship between baptism and salvation, because the rest of any topic to do with baptism will depend on what do we think about baptism and salvation.
0: Right, yeah. And um, one of the things that came up after our baptism and communion episode, oh, actually, that wasn't our last episode, was it? The last one was on calling priest's father.
1: Right, Yep.
0: Anyways, that doesn't matter. One of the things that came up after our baptism and communion episode was that uh, we were assuming in that episode that anyone who is a Christian is baptized. And so what about the people who consider themselves Christians but that don't want to be baptized? Is that possible? And to be fair to you, I think you did ask that question in the podcast. And uh, I kind of sideswiped it because I thought it would just make our conversation there a little bit too convoluted and that we wouldn't be able to address it adequately in like a minute or two. So, you know, sorry, sorry about that. That's okay.
1: I think (laughs) a lot of the questions I'm finding that I ask, I realize as I'm asking, this probably deserves a whole other podcast episode. So anyway, here we
0: are. Here we are now anyway. Yeah. So um, yeah, I thought talking a little bit about that relationship between baptism and salvation would just help clarify a few of those things. And uh, the question there that I framed just a minute ago is is a little bit different than the usual question, too. People aren't usually asking if somebody can be a Christian that refuses baptism. Uh, Usually they're asking, do I need to be baptized in order to be saved? And maybe that's a slightly different question. But uh, before we get to those kinds of questions, I think maybe we should just talk about what baptism is in general. So First of all, baptism is a sacrament, which is defined uh, in the ACNA Catechism to be a Christian as an outward and visible
1: sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Can I just clarify? Sure. The catechism that you're referring to, the name of the catechism is to be a Christian. Correct. That sounded like the answer to what... (laughs) is baptism as a sacrament. What is a sacrament is to be a Christian. Right, yeah. No, that's, I could see how that could be confusing. The name of the catechism book is to to be be a a Christian. Christian. Yeah. And the definition (laughs) it gives of a sacrament is?
0: An outward invisible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Okay, great. Which I see that quote a lot and it's always attributed to St. Augustine and I don't know exactly where in his writings that is. I've tried to find it. I mean, he's pretty prolific, so I'm sure it's in there somewhere, but I never actually see a citation by it, which drives me crazy. Like, I know he says similar things, so it's not like he didn't believe this, um, but I would like to see the actual words of Augustine at some point in my life.
1: Yeah, I, I remember looking for it as well and not being able to find it. But you're right, it's definitely representative of his theology. yeah. 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 So yeah, an outward
0: and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. So essentially, sacraments are built on the theology of the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. He's human and he is divine. And in some ways, so it is with the sacraments. There's both a temporal and an eternal dimension to them. There's a a physical, material reality. In the case of baptism, obviously that's water. And there's also... A spiritual reality. The invisible grace of God is conveyed or communicated through the water. Or, or we might also say that a sacrament is an effective sign, it's a, a physical sign that actually works to bring about the thing that it signifies. So baptism is a symbol of union with Christ, but it's a, a symbol with power. It's a symbol that has been ordained by God and is used by Him to actually bring us into union with Christ.
1: I heard an example once of kind of trying to illustrate the idea of sacrament. And they they talked about money, like paper money, or I guess in our case, plastic money. Okay. Whatever <laughs> our money's made out of. <laughs> and saying that it's 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 kind of similar there if just because you write on a piece of paper doesn't mean that that piece of paper is worth $5. It doesn't have the power to buy you $5 worth of goods. Right. So why is a $5 bill, why does that have the power to be able to purchase $5 worth of things? And it's because there's the authority of the government and the banks standing behind it, authorizing it, and giving kind of enduing in, in endowing it with that power. And so I would you see that as a similar thing to sacraments, like a just a word picture, even to go, these sacraments are powerful, they're different. They're not just a piece of paper with five dollars written on them. They're right. not just a piece of bread. God standing behind them, endowing them with power for whatever grace.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really a really good way to think about it. Yeah, and uh, the, the visible component of the sacrament of baptism, uh, obviously, is water. And the imagery of water is uh, really powerful in the scriptures. We, we won't be able to look at this in depth, but if we just look at the first couple of verses, even of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was was moving over the face of the waters. And of course it goes from there to the account of creation, God speaks and life comes into being. And so one of the things that we see in these first couple of verses is is the spirit of God hovering over the waters of creation and bringing forth new life. And this is another way that we we can understand our baptism, the Holy Spirit is actually present there and working through the waters of baptism to bring us into our new life in Christ. Word and Spirit are working together in a creative act. We're being reborn. We're being remade in Christ. So, as I think about your um, financial analogy, maybe you know it's not just that the authority of God is is standing behind it and giving it power. Uh, but he's actually present in it as well.
1: So already from the first sentences of the Bible, we get a picture of um, the outward invisible sign of the water in baptism being a, an outward visible sign of the inward spiritual grace of the Holy Spirit creating us or maybe a new creation mm-hmm. in us. Okay. Yep. So what What else? Yeah, and of course, water
0: is associated with cleansing. Uh, that's a pretty natural association. Mm-hmm. If, if you're covered in mud, you need to rinse off. Uh, but baptism is not just a physical washing, but it is a spiritual one. In baptism, we're given a clear conscience before God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, uh, that is to Noah and his family being preserved through the flood in Genesis chapter 6, which is uh, obviously another story we could spend some time on. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in baptism, we receive a clear conscience before God, total forgiveness. We're, we're cleansed of all of our sin. And similarly, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it refers to baptism as the washing of regeneration. In baptism, we are cleansed of all of our sin and we're brought into fellowship or into right relationship with God. We're being reborn, regenerated, made new again in Christ. And that's why we talk sometimes about baptismal regeneration, uh, although there's some baggage associated with that term. So I don't tend to use it a lot personally, but it's a term that that's actually taken directly from Scripture. The baptism is the washing of regeneration.
1: So there. The outward visible sign would be cleansing, like the water is used to cleanse. Mm-hmm. And the inward spiritual grace related to that is just forgiveness or cleansing of sin or cleansing our consciousness. Yeah, Conscious. exactly. Conscience. 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 Yeah. Thank you. I was like, I'm close, but I'm not quite there. Conscience, yes. Cleansing of conscience. or
0: conscience. Yeah. <laughs> Probably my favorite baptismal text is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 11, Would you mind reading that for us, Jordan? Sure. The whole thing? The whole thing. Romans chapter 6, 1 to 11.
1: What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death.
0: That's awesome. I, I love that passage. And I mean, one of the things I, I really love about it is it's just so clear that, you know, whether we fully understand it or not, whether we can grasp it or not, something powerful is happening in those waters. Like this isn't just some kind of empty ritual, but God is present there and, and he's bringing about something in the water. Baptism is, is spoken of as a participation in the death of Christ on the cross, So in some ways, all of our our worldly desires, all of our sin and shame and guilt is, is all put to death on the cross. Our former man, our sinful man has been crucified with him. So baptism is a real participation in the death of Christ. There's a real death that's taking place in us. And it's also a participation in the resurrection of Christ. So it's not just the death of our old man but it it is a new birth. It's a call to life and to wholeness and to becoming more like Jesus and sharing in his very nature. As the text says, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we have been set free and we've been made alive and made new again in
1: Christ. So there the outward visible sign is, it's like we're being buried into the water and then rising again from it. And the spiritual grace is being buried into Christ's death and then raised to new newness of life in in Christ's life. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, death and resurrection, and I mean the key word there is is participation. Like we're we're being united to the salvific acts of Jesus Christ. Mm. The passage that we that I mentioned in First Peter. Uh, talked about baptism corresponding to Noah and the flood, but there are also other Old Testament passages that help us to understand our baptism. And in my opinion, the best image that we have for this is the story of the Exodus. So if you're not familiar with the story, uh, the Israelites were God's chosen people, and they found themselves enslaved by the Egyptians for a long time, over 400 years. And then finally, through a prophet named Moses... God leads his people out of Egypt and brings them to the shore of the Red Sea, and then they're trapped there, and their oppressors, the Egyptians, have now changed their mind about letting them go and have started to pursue them. That, that, that's like the, the broadest overview of the story that,
1: possible. That was pretty good. <laughs>
0: yeah. God speaks to Abraham, yada, yada, yada. His <laughs> descendants are trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there they are. Uh, the Egyptians have them cornered, but God intervenes and protects and preserves his people. He divides the waters of the Red Sea so that the Israelites can pass through on dry land. And as they pass through, the Egyptians are coming up behind them in pursuit to take them captive again. But as soon as God's people reach the other side of the Red Sea, God causes the waters to return to their place and all of the Egyptians are drowned. And this is just an amazing uh, story. And it, it prefigures baptism because the, the waters of the Red Sea are both a place of death and a place of life. They were life for the Israelites and death for the Egyptians. Baptism is life to you and death to your sin. It, it, it was precisely those people who were enslaving the Israelites who were killed in the Red Sea. And, and similarly, when we receive baptism, Everything that has enslaved us and held us captive, all of our sin, faces the judgment of God and is put to death. And we get to receive our inheritance. We begin our journey to the promised land. We receive the promised Holy Spirit. We receive in ourselves the eternal life of the Son of God. So we don't come out of the water in the same way that we went in. We emerge in a place of victory. We are changed by the grace and the mercy of God as we are united to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I just think that the vivid imagery of the Red Sea helps us to understand our baptism at a deeper level.
1: That's really beautiful that we, just that summary, that we are changed by baptism and changed because it unites us to Jesus. And and like you said, changed for all those, like it's very multifaceted. There's a whole bunch of, I mean, there was like four, I think, symbols that you use to explain all the things that baptism does. It changes us. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're new creations. We are. We have a new birth. We are cleansed by the Spirit, as He unites us to Jesus, and unites us to Jesus' death, and His resurrection. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. <laughs> It's beautiful.
0: Baptism is great. <laughs> yeah.
1: I recommend it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, so with all that in mind then, let's return to the, the question we were asking at the beginning. Is it possible to be a Christian who does not desire to be baptized? So we're not talking about someone who just hasn't had an opportunity to be baptized yet or something like that, but somebody who is actively refusing baptism. I am I am very hesitant to label things too strongly for questions like this, uh, because it's 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 not my job to determine who is a Christian and who isn't. Um, thankfully, but I I do think that there is a basic contradiction here. Like like if you call yourself a Christian but have an aversion to baptism and refuse to receive it, that is a problem. The the most basic definition of what it means to be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ, and the the scriptures are very clear that one of the first steps in following Jesus is baptism in matthew chapter 28 he says go into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit or in acts chapter two on the day of pentecost peter is preaching this wonderful gospel message and and the crowd that hears it responds to peter and they say what should we do they're they're cut to the heart it says and and they and they respond what should we do and peter says to them Repent and be baptized. Uh, so, so, these commands of the scriptures are not arbitrary, but they're actually given to us as a gift of grace. It is in baptism where we are united to Christ. What a wonderful thing! It's an invitation not just to, to follow him in obedience, but to be with him. So, I mean, can you really call yourself a Christ follower? if you refuse to follow Christ? Can you call yourself a Christian when you are rejecting the means of being united to Jesus? That's a difficult one, you know? I suppose you can call yourself just about anything you want these days, but, but to me, it, it just doesn't really seem to be coherent. But I think the, the real question that people are asking actually isn't, can I be a Christian without getting baptized, but rather, can I be saved without being baptized? people often conflate those two things and assume that all Christians are saved and that salvation is exclusive to Christianity. Now, let me just clarify that. Please do. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm not saying that there's any path to salvation outside of Jesus. I just think that we're presuming too much if we think that the church reflects the heart of Jesus with 100% accuracy on these kinds of things. And I just want to be very careful not to draw the lines too tightly when it comes to salvation. Like we need to be able to use labels and definitions sometimes like the word Christian has to mean something, but that inevitably means that wherever you've drawn the lines, there's going to be some errors. There are unsaved people in the church who we would label as Christians. And there are saved people outside of the church who don't really fit that label. And so, you know, when I say that there's a a contradiction, for a Christian to refuse baptism, I'm not necessarily saying anything about whether or not that person uh, is saved or whether they're going to heaven or, or things like that. Ultimately, I think we have to remember that Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the one who will pronounce judgment on everyone's eternal state. And we know his normal way of operating, but he's not restricted to that way. He can be gracious to whoever he likes. And so... Any attempt to describe the relationship between baptism and salvation, I think, has to be somewhat tentative in nature. We have to acknowledge the mystery of salvation and the fact that Jesus is the one, the only one, who is sitting on the throne of judgment. So, when it comes to baptism, we obviously don't have time to read every baptismal text in the scriptures, But already we referenced all kinds of verses that affirm that there is some kind of connection between baptism and salvation. And I think that this is true to the sacramental understanding of baptism that has been normative in the church since the beginning. Baptism is a tangible means of grace. It is an an effective sign that brings about what it promises. So in the waters of baptism, we are eternally united to Christ. It is the point at which we formally enter into covenant with God and are brought into his family.
1: I like that word you used, normative. That's helpful because, well, I mean, first to go back and just say Jesus commanded it. Yeah. You know, that was, that's a pretty strong point. Right. Um, <laughs> and It is a difficult one to get around. But um, even to just say, and then since then, it's, it's the normative way that God gives the graces of salvation to his people that's yeah that's pretty helpful just jesus commanded it and it's been the normative way i like it
0: yeah and i think it's okay for us to expect that god works in a consistent fashion as well like he doesn't he doesn't leave us to guess about things like this but he actually he does give us a normative means to access his grace
1: i would hope so it would be it would be pretty chaotic if god didn't act consistently yeah yeah (laughs) Or if he did act consistently and didn't tell us how he was going to act consistently, but that he acts consistently and then tells us how he's doing it, it's yeah. pretty helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Do this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right.
0: <laughs> I think typically when people are objecting to the idea that baptism is connected to salvation, I think they're doing so on the basis of a completely different understanding of baptism. And so some people believe that baptism is, uh, say, a representation of some change that has already taken place in the heart of a believer. So it's still a symbolic gesture, but it is an empty symbol. It has no power. And if that's what baptism is, then, yeah, it might be a nice thing to do, but it certainly wouldn't be essential or really have anything to do with salvation or anything like that. Or sometimes people also talk about baptism as something uh, that we just have to do in obedience to the command of Jesus to show him that we love him. And now, obviously, I think it's good to obey the commands of Jesus. But again, if that's what baptism is, then it, it can't be essential or necessary to our salvation. At best, it's it's a good thing that we should consider doing. And both of these ways of thinking about baptism, I think, reveal the fundamental difference that exists between different kinds of Christians on this topic and that is, you know, is baptism something that we do for God or is it something that God does for us? Is it, is it our work? Is it something that's born out of our initiative and our will or is it God's work to us? And I think, I hope it's obvious where I stand on that, that baptism is a gift of God for us. And and partly why I believe that is I think that there are real difficulties that arise when you reverse that and you start thinking about baptism as something that we do for God. Every Orthodox Christian body practices baptism and believes that on some level, it's something that we have to do as Christians, that we're uh, required to do it, even if they don't believe that it has any connection to salvation. And my 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 problem there, my struggle, I guess, is that If we see baptism as a work that we do, that seems to me to contradict the gospel message a little bit. Like essentially this makes baptism into this ritual that is external to Christ that we have to participate in to prove our worthiness to God. And that's not the gospel. And so I think because it is commanded in the scriptures, baptism cannot be our work. We can't think of it as something that we do. Anything that is required of us to live the Christian life must be accomplished by Christ alone. That's the gospel. Jesus is the only one who is worthy, and he gives us his righteousness. And so if baptism is not our work, but it is the work of Christ alone, if it is a gift of grace and the, the means by which we are united to him, then in some ways the question is baptism required for salvation, really becomes, you know, is receiving the grace of salvation required for salvation? And that's an odd question, of course. It doesn't, it doesn't really make sense because it's not formulated with a proper understanding of baptism in mind. But, but of course, the answer is yes. Do I need to receive God's grace in order to be saved? Yes. And how do I do that? In baptism. And one of the reasons I really love this is because it is objective. I I grew up in an environment that I think essentially held on to uh, what I would now call a sacramental view of the sinner's prayer. Like if if you prayed the sinner's prayer, then you were saved. But I I was just never sure that it worked. There there used to be tracts that went around uh, about this all the time. Have you ever seen any of those chick tracts? I think they were called.
1: I didn't know they were called that, but yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. I think Jack sure. Chick
0: was the guy that oh, okay. authored them or something. Mm-hmm. Anyways, in the tracks, there, there's always like this amazing transformation that takes place whenever somebody prays the sinner's prayer. And that was something that I just really didn't experience. And so I was always wondering, did, did I do it right? Did I say the right words? I didn't feel anything. So maybe I need to do it again. And I really have no idea how many times I tried praying the sinner's prayer, but the the efficacy of it was very subjective. But baptism just isn't like that. Baptism is objective. It doesn't rely on how I felt or on what my understanding of it was at the time. It's just pure Jesus. It's all the work of Christ, and
1: and that's just so beautiful. So, Amos, I want to take us on a bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it is— I think it's relevant to this podcast because in everything you've just said in the last couple of minutes here, I'm starting to see how this view, our views of baptism our different views of baptism might be influenced by how much, how much we have been influenced by secularism. Like you say in, in your other episodes of Tyler about secularism, how, um, it's just kind of got into the groundwater of our culture and we've, been drinking it for so long that I'm starting to wonder if maybe we're viewing baptism with that flat world view mm-hmm. instead of sacramentally. Right. Because so this is the long rabbit trail and then I'll let you answer that question. Well you go ahead. <laughs> but um <laughs> I guess so I guess for the listeners to summarize what I've been hearing Amos talk about in the secularism episodes is is that there's kind of the there's a few different there's two different worldviews. There's one that sees everything in creation as kind of 3D. Like there's there's the material physical world that we can see, but that's like imagining a square. But then if you shift a little bit, you can see that that square is actually a cube. Like there's depth to it. There's this other dimension to it, right? So it's not just the physical material world. There's a spiritual world that's just as much a part of it. Like they're intertwined. You can't separate them, which is just to say that the spiritual world and the physical world are inseparable. They're meant to be together and they're meant to, to be one. And so of course, if that's the case, then as Christians, we, we would see things that way and we would say, we want to bring ourselves into alignment with the spiritual world because for us, the spiritual world means God's reality and the heavenly kingdom. And of course, we want to uh, be in alignment with that. We want to submit to that. Uh, the other thing we could conclude there is that it shouldn't be surprising that there are physical things we can do to align ourselves spiritually Hmm. because the physical world and the spiritual world are so intertwined and related. And like we said, God chooses particular things within creation to have particular powers or graces, Mm -hmm. but the secular worldview, it, it developed because it started with splitting the spiritual and the physical worlds apart and saying that they don't really engage with each other. And then as things kind of developed over a couple of centuries of like philosophy and theology, what happens is then us as physical people, we, we start seeing ourselves and the material world as the ultimate reality, instead of seeing right. God's realm, the spiritual realm as the ultimate one. Right. Cause, cause really this is the only one we really have certainty about. We can see the desk in the chairs, in each other, we can't see God. And then it, of course, it, it takes that spiritual dimension out of physical things and it places a big question mark on whether physical things have any spiritual relevance. Right. And then we get to, um, that, that all kind of just leads to René Descartes. You've heard of him?
0: Yes. I've heard of him.
1: <laughs> okay, great. Um, <laughs> Probably some of the listeners haven't, but they've probably heard the phrase that he's most famous for, his big philosophy breakthrough, which is, I think, therefore I am, which he just kind of said, all I can see is this world. So that's all I can be sure about. But then he went, well, I don't know if I can even be sure about that. All I know is that I'm thinking thoughts. Right. And so that's how I know I exist, is I'm thinking thoughts. I think, therefore I am. But what, what that produces then is... And what it has produced in all of us, I think, whether we know it or not, is the idea that the only thing I know for sure is me and what I think, my thoughts and my existence. And so it kind of reorients our whole worldview around me, my thoughts, my existence, my feelings, what's going on inside of me. Right. And so then the most important thing in reality is me and my thoughts and feelings and not, the, uh, not even the physical world, and definitely not the outside spiritual reality of, of God. Hmm. And so that's how we get to where we are in culture today, where the most important thing in the world is me expressing my individuality and me expressing how I feel inside. And that's how we get to the place of nothing matters except what I choose. And what I choose to give meaning is meaningful to me right? Like my truth. Right. And then I guess like bringing instead of us living our whole lives, trying to figure out how to put, how to bring ourselves into alignment. Like I said, with that transcendent spiritual reality, Mm -hmm. we live our whole lives instead trying to bring the external world into alignment with me and my thoughts and feelings. Right. So (laughs) to end my long rant, (laughs) this is how we come back to baptism. All of that to pave the way to, I'm hearing that a lot of those thoughts kind of seem like the basis for a particular view of baptism. Or if you thought like that, maybe then you would carry that into your understanding of baptism and why baptism is important. Right. Cause then you would see baptism as important because it's about me choosing God or it's me expressing how I feel and what I believe inside you know, I've heard baptism described as a public declaration of faith, right? which it certainly is. And I think that's an important part of it. Mm-hmm. But if you're thinking about it being an important part because you value your uh, expressing your individuality, I think that's a little bit, it seems backwards. And so instead of like what we're saying about baptism, which is that we we do it to submit ourselves to this external reality or this transcendent spiritual reality, who is God, Mm -hmm. we're submitting to his hand, submitting to his death, submitting to our need for his grace. Then it's not that in the secular worldview, it would be, it's more about our action, um, acting out in external ways, what we feel internally. But I don't think based on what you're saying in a, in a sacramental view of baptism, that baptism is not about you choosing God. It's about God choosing you. Right. And it's not about a public declaration of how you feel or what you choose to give meaning to. It's more a public declaration of how God feels for you. Right. And, and coming into alignment with the truth of God and his reality and his love for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think that I'm seeing that accurately? That those that secular worldview has influenced our views of baptism in that way.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I uh, had a couple of thoughts while you were talking there, just on your last point. It, it, the The public profession of faith, and who who's doing the professing in baptism Mm -hmm. um we 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 see in the baptism of jesus it's god that speaks right it's not jesus who speaks it's god who speaks and Mm -hmm. and says this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased and i think we would do well to take that into our understanding of baptism that 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 god says that over each one of us Mm -hmm. at our baptism and as much as you know we are participating in it we, we we make our way to the water and we uh we submit to receiving the sacrament of baptism but but he's the one initiating and and declaring things over us. But yeah, I just as you were talking there, I thought okay, so one thing it's it's really interesting to hear somebody else, you know, sort of summarizing what I've been saying about secularism. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges I have is even in how we talk about how do we talk about God? How do we actually mm-hmm. talk about the transcendent? How do we talk about the eternal because we always want to we want to say the physical and the spiritual Mm. And, and I do this as well, but the the reality is God is above all of those things, right? Like right, yeah. we, 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 we tend to put God in sort of the same category as mm. angels and, uh, mm-hmm. any other sort of invisible things, yep. but those are cre- creations as well. Right. Right. So, so we think of, you know, the square and then the cube is sort of the spiritual dimension.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and
0: when we think of the eternal, I think, I think we have to do something else again. That, something that, that's something other than really, the
1: cube. Altogether,
0: yeah, which is really counterintuitive. Like, I think that that's a really good start um, for thinking about it. But yeah. then, you know, there's this other thing. Yeah, that it is breaks God down a little bit. The that, picture breaks down. Yeah. yeah, and he, I mean, God is the foundation of all existence. So, mm. I, I, I don't know. I I, I struggle to even mm. come up with language that can relate that. Mm-hmm. I, do you understand what I'm sort of trying to drive at? Yeah. It's not really related to our conversation about baptism it's just something that i I found interesting in your conversation yeah
1: no, I can see it now that i'm I'm looking back at it maybe um to just correct a little bit what I was saying then
0: yeah and i I wasn't like i w- wasn't saying you were wrong or anything I just no that, but i that, can
1: I can see what you're pointing out yeah. what I'm missing is is maybe the world view i'm I'm associating God with just the spiritual realm right and God is the creator of both the material world and the spiritual dimension or whatever I was calling it.
0: Yeah. And exists independently and outside of both of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But and we so do, maybe, I mean, we do
0: say God is spirit. That's a, that's a scriptural yeah, phrase. Yeah. But what do we mean by that? We don't mean the same thing as we, yeah. we mean when we say that an angel is a spiritual being.
1: Yeah. So maybe then what I'm noticing is that this secular view of baptism only tries to make sense of the act of baptism in within the physical and material realm with not paying too much attention to the spiritual dimension of things, which we, at least you and I, Amos believe that in God's creation, there's, it's the three dimension cube Yeah. and God's not just associated with the spiritual side of the cube, but also the, the 2d physical realm, but bringing them together is, is important. He's working both um, simultaneously, and so maybe then my complaint—not complaint, but question—is—is—is is, is, is maybe that more a secularly influenced view of baptism, a flat view of baptism, that the water's just a symbol, yeah, with no spiritual power.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're totally on the right track. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. I think with with pretty much everything that you're saying, and for sure it it it's a it's a view of baptism that's heavily influenced, I think, by say what's in the, in the groundwater. And mm-hmm. because of that too, it's, it's unconscious. Like, like nobody's mm-hmm. consciously thinking about baptism in that way. Um, but it, you know, we see signs of it as, as, as we're talking. And one of the other thoughts I had while you were talking there was just uh, how it seems, it seems a little bit ironic that we get from, you know, only physical things exist to one step further with René Descartes and mm. Uh, actually, it's the mind is the only thing that exists. Yeah, which is a which is not which is not a physical reality. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it, yeah, it's a bit of bit of irony there. Yeah, I think you're on the right track. Like to see baptism as just a symbol. You ever listened to what's his name, Jonathan Pajot? A he's little a, bit. Yeah. yeah, an Eastern Orthodox icon carver, and he's he's got a podcast called The Symbolic World. I think. I've only listened to a couple episodes, but he ranted in one of them about just the word just, like, mm-hmm. how, how can you say something is just a symbol? Like, mm-hmm. what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, he's he's got a very sacramental view of creation, uh, which is what we're sort of feeling our way towards. Yeah. So this view of baptism as it's something that I impart meaning to and it's something that is just a physical act and it's something that is just a symbol seems to me to be very, very heavily influenced by our our secular world that we live in.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess then, like you've pointed out, producing a view of baptism that seems more like it's it's what I'm doing for God right? versus what God's doing for me, which again, there's some irony there because that view of baptism seems to be more popular in Protestant circles that are very much against uh, Works-based righteousness, and right. yet baptism. Then, if it's just a symbol, it comes down to it's what I'm doing mm-hmm. for God. It's a work. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, let's just talk a little bit more about the mystery of salvation. Um, as I've, I've, I've already said, Jesus is the judge, and and we must not take it upon ourselves to cast judgment when it comes to someone's eternal state. And although the grace of God for salvation is principally conveyed in baptism god is not restricted to communicating his grace in this way and nor is he bound to act merely by the observation of this rite so in other words it's not a magic formula that affects salvation independently of the work of christ and and that's usually what people are trying to fight against is this sort of magic incantation uh view of baptism that in all honesty was prominent in in some of the church's history. So it's a reasonable thing to be wary of. Uh, but baptism is not a magic formula. It's not uh, superstition. It's, it, it doesn't work independently of the work of Christ. And that means that there are some outliers in, you know, how we define things and look at things. There There, there are those who receive salvation without baptism. And we could look to the thief on the cross for that. That's Luke chapter 23. Uh, And there are those who, although they are baptized, do not receive salvation. And, you know, you want to be very careful who you put in that category. We can't say with certainty because we don't necessarily know the end of the story, but at least the potential for that is seen in Simon the Magician in Acts chapter 8. So there are people who receive salvation without baptism and people who are baptized and don't receive salvation. So God has given us the sacraments, but he's not bound by them, I guess is, is what I'm saying.
1: So maybe just to reiterate, you're saying baptism doesn't replace, say, the need for a relationship with Jesus. But I think, as we said in an earlier episode, baptism is, is like a door into that relationship. Right. We just want to be careful to preserve
0: the mystery of salvation and not, mm. we can't say that there's a one-to-one correlation, right? And the other thing about salvation that is sometimes hard to wrap our minds around is that it is ongoing. You know, we often assume that salvation is a one-time past event in the life of a Christian, but salvation in the scriptures is used in all three tenses. It says, by grace you have been saved, uh, which is past tense, work out your salvation daily, that's present tense. We await our future salvation, future tense, Um, Sometimes we break those terms apart and talk about uh, our justification uh, as the past action, sanctification as the present action, and glorification as the future action of salvation. But I think from the uh, eternal or timeless perspective of God, these are probably just different ways that we as temporal agents experience the same eternal reality. And by relegating salvation to to a one-time event in the past, whether that's through the sinner's prayer or through baptism, we end up distorting our understanding of the ongoing work of God who constantly and continually saves us, as well as our future hope of the completed work of salvation and the restoration of all things when our King returns in glory.
1: Yeah, I see that 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 view of salvation kind of leads to like a, yeah, the one, like you said, the one time event of salvation. And then if I'm saved, well, then I must, I must be perfect. Right. Right. We kind of know, well, I'm not perfect, but then we struggle. Well, how do we, why am I not perfect? I thought I'm saved now. Um, Or it just kind of leads to this thing that, well, it could lead to the idea that everything I do is, is good and holy now. And ironically, I think that the sinner's prayer way into salvation is I think just as likely to replace relationship with God, or right. replace replace the importance of it, um, or at least it it might it might encourage the view that faith in God simply means believing in God, and not like a living faith, an active faith right. where you are actively trusting in God and living out your faith. Mm-hmm. Kind
0: of skew the difference between faith and faithfulness
1: yeah yeah it's a good way to put it. Hmm. okay, so Amos, maybe what would be helpful is we well, mostly I have uh, derailed you a number of times <laughs> to insert uh, my own that's not true, <laughs> my own things, but um, would you mind giving us just a summary? let's get back to the the main thing we were talking about the relationship of baptism and salvation. How would you explain that? what scripture verses yeah are, come to the fore?
0: So I guess essentially what I want to say is water baptism is the sacramental rite of initiation into the Christian faith. It is a practice that was instituted by Jesus and a means by which our Lord continues to convey his grace to those who follow him. Again, in matters of eternal significance, we must remember that salvation belongs to God. We, we have to preserve the mystery of salvation. And so it's not our place to make judgments about the salvation of individuals. Uh, But at the same time, that must not diminish our appreciation for this sacrament or for the work that God accomplishes through it in bringing believers into new life. So in baptism, we participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's uh, the Romans 6 passage that we read. We are incorporated into his body. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 12. We receive a spiritual renewal, 1 Peter chapter three. Our sins are forgiven, Acts chapter two. We're we're born again, John chapter three. And and we become heirs of the covenant promises given to all of God's children, Galatians chapter three. Baptism is the washing of regeneration, Titus chapter three. And I think all of these scriptures uh, and, and many more show us that baptism is a gift of God's divine grace And it's not a work
1: of our own merit. That's pretty helpful. I think whenever I hear it laid out like that, I think, yeah, why? I don't know why you wouldn't get baptized.
0: Yeah. So if you're a Christian who isn't baptized, get in the water. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Get in the water. Yeah. I I can't think of a good reason not to. And I mean, like you pointed out, Jesus commanded it. Uh, It's been the normative door to relationship with Jesus. And it is in scripture completely associated with salvation. Yeah. Like to the, to the extent that I don't know how you separate the two. Yeah. Could God grant salvation to someone who's not baptized? Absolutely. But given all those scriptures you read, it seems pretty tied up. I mean, the one that stands out the most to me, I think is the first Peter one where it says baptism, which now saves you. Right. (laughs) Right. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't always think the Bible's literal, but I don't think that was uh, a metaphor. Yeah you, that one seemed pretty literal.
0: You don't want to run away from those words, like you've got to confront them at some yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, we're not, we're not making a judgment on your eternal state. Uh, we're not saying you're, you don't have any kind of relationship with God if you haven't been baptized, but there's good things for you there. like get, get in the water. There's, Jesus wants to meet you there, and you will be blessed
1: beyond measure. So if someone's listening to this, they haven't been baptized and they want to be, what what do they do?
0: Talk to their pastor. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for chatting with me today,
1: Jordan. Yeah, you're welcome.
0: I'm not sure if this is going to be the last episode before summer or if uh, the other one I'm supposed to be recording this week will be the last one. But uh, either way, we'll probably take a little bit of a break uh, through the summer and then uh, we'll pick up again sometime in the fall. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time.